Miller still waiting for his first pitch. Roberts is going. Posada's throw. Roberts safe. Swinging a high deep drive in the right field. That one's called to the right. Hunter on the move. Racing back. It's over his head. It's gone. It's into the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. The light goes on. Puppy goes on. It hasn't happened at Fenway Park for 95 years. The Red Sox are world champions. This is a Boston Herald Radio special presentation. Stepping off the bag with Boston Herald Red Sox reporter Jason Mastrodonato. Is there anybody out there who can convince David Ortiz not to retire besides his family? If there's one person, it might be Red Sox hitting coach Chili Davis. Flashback to 1999. Chili Davis was 39 years old. He hit 25 doubles, 19 homers, 78 RBIs, with a 366 on base, an 812 OPS. He was an above-average player for the New York Yankees, and he won a World Series. How did he walk away from that? That's the question I asked him on this week's Boston Herald Stepping Off the Bag Red Sox podcast. I'm Jason Master Donato, one of the Red Sox beat reporters for the Herald. And I sat down with Davis for about 15 minutes to talk a little bit about his decision to retire and how he's been trying to convince Ortiz not to retire uh, this season. He also talked about the Red Sox offense, which is averaging six runs per game this season, a historic pace, and what he sees from the players. Later in the podcast, the Herald Radio's Tyler Sullivan sits down with Steve Buckley, longtime sports columnist for the Herald, to see what Buck thinks about the Red Sox' chances this season. I still wonder if the pitching staff is deep enough. We'll see what Buck has to say later in the podcast. Here with Red Sox hitting coach Chili Davis, my very special guest on this week's podcast, a man who needs no introduction. Uh, Chili, my first question for you is um, one that I think a lot of people would probably wonder. Uh, why'd you retire when you did? Um, why? <laughs> why'd you retire? You had, what, 20 homers, you hit yeah. 280, you won the World Series. I don't know. How'd you walk away? I don't know. I wish I didn't. <laughs> I wish I had played a couple more years. I started looking at numbers, which I didn't do it when I was playing, and I looked at one number, 9,997 plate appearances. I'm like, three plate appearances for 10,000. Somebody told me that I would have stuck around, you know, but, you know, you can't look back. I did when I did. I'm enjoying myself now. You know? I, I know you are, and everybody's enjoying getting coached by you. But when you do think at the time, I mean, what, was it hard for you to walk away, or were you just ready? Um, I, I would have to say I was, I was more ready than anything. I mean, I got released by the Yankees after uh, the 99 year. And I think it's more financial than anything. Uh, I think they decided to go with uh, Daryl Strawberry and uh, Jim Larich as a DH combo. Later on, I think uh, they picked up David Justice. I mean, they ended up winning the World Series, so it was probably a smart move. I think I would have won anyway if I would have been there. But, you know, I'd never been released before. And after 19-plus years, I went home and I thought about it. And I said, you know, maybe it's time to just hang it up, you know. And I didn't really miss it. Uh, the first couple of years, I was doing a lot of things that I wanted to do in the summer. And I think... About three years in, three four years in retirement, I started realizing that you know I missed the uh, competitiveness. You know that pitcher hitter competition, and there's nothing else out there. I talked to David about it all the time. I said, "D, you, you won't find this comp- competition anywhere else. You know you can play all the golf, you can do all the things. You got a lot of time to do that. Um, there's something about it that 
makes you the kind of player you are. You know, uh, you like to step up in those situations, and there's nothing out there um, that offers that to you know an athlete. And you've told David all this that you your yeah. feelings on it, yeah, and I, you kind you know, of regretted it. He's gonna, he's gonna. I, I don't regret it. I mean, yeah. I, you know, if I look back now, if I had to do it all over again, I probably would have stuck around for a couple more years. I think uh, I still had the ability to hit um, uh, two, maybe three more years. You know, not necessarily for the numbers, but you know, the game. The game is fun to play, and um, like I said, I enjoy the competition. I look right. forward to it. And, once retired, that that competition wasn't there anymore. Right, and I remember talking to you in spring training and a few times since, and you always say, you know, I'm, I'm telling David, you know, not to retire. We need him to come back. Well, I, um, can, I can't tell him, but I, you yeah. know, I, I keep putting little hints in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, he keeps insisting he's gonna. For you, is it just? Do you do you think about that, or are you just kind of enjoying the ride here with him? I, you know what, I think about it at times when I watch him hit. He's so incredible to watch. His hands are so good for a big man, for a guy that's 40. He's smart, you know, um, he, he steps up to the occasion. He takes the good with the bad. Um, sometimes it might not look like that on the field, but, you know, he turns the page pretty well. You know, he has a bad day, he comes in the next day and starts all over again. Um, I, you know, um, he's gonna do what he wants to do as far as retirement is concerned. I know for me, one of the things that probably uh, helped me to make that decision was, you know, it was it got harder and harder to get ready for a ball game. You know, all the little injuries that you uh, you endure during your younger playing years and the middle years, they start, you know, you start feeling them a lot more. You know, and you got to get to the ballpark a little earlier, the massage, the hot tubs, everything to prepare to play. And then after the game. You know, you had to kind of do the whole process all over again just to try to get them to quiet down. It was the ice time, you know, you ice everything yeah. so that swelling go down and everything. But, you know, the ability to play this game at this level is is a lot of physical, but once you get uh, the number of years in that David has in, that I had in, the players that's been around 10, 15 plus years, the knowledge that you have, you know, um, you know, it never goes away. Yeah. It never goes away. You sit and watch a ball game on TV and you watch pitchers pitch to hitters and you're pretty much sitting there calling pitchers and saying, okay, they're going to throw this now, they're going to throw that now, this is what this guy's going to do. And, you know, I'd sit there with, I got a real good friend in Arizona who's a former NFL player, Seth Joyner, and I love watching football games with him because he analyzes them as well as anyone and any analyst on TV and the insight that he has in, in, in football he sits and watch baseball games with me and you know I'll sit there and go well he's gonna throw this pitch again he's gonna do this you know and he goes how do you know and I'm like same way you know defenses and offenses on football right. I know pitchers you know? 350 home runs later you've yeah. got somewhat of an idea what's I got some, some of them figured out not all of them if right. I had them all figured out it'd be like 650 yeah. you know but you've really enjoyed kind of the coaching aspect of it where you've yeah. been able to share it yeah. give it back do you think David would would excel in that role um I think he would I um he, I'll tell you one thing he uh he's a huge help to me you know, Victor is my assistant hitting coach, which is, he's awesome. Yeah. And, and there are times when David will come in and confirm things that we're trying to tell the young players, you know, and, and, and 
we have to remind ourselves that you know 19 years 19 20 years in the big leagues uh, the experience that you gain from that you can't expect uh, a Mookie Betts or, or Xander Bogarts or any of these young guys to have that experience in two or three years so you got to be very mindful of, of things you say to them because there's certain things you're trying to help them to learn how to do that they're not really ready to do it yet you know they, they don't feel as comfortable as we would doing it so but David David is awesome David uh, I don't know if he'd want to coach I don't know if he'd have to coach um, you know the, 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 the salaries they make today um, but if he did he, I think he'd be a great right. a great coach players just seem to gravitate to him yeah it seems like everybody listens to him well, he's a team guy yeah. you know he's a team guy and and he's the man here he's the man here and the guys know it and you know he's good with the young guys he's good with the older guys and you know, he's just a good guy to be around. What did you at this point? Do you even coach him? I mean, how do you how do you coach him? <laughs> we talk. Yeah. I would call it coaching. Yeah. I mean, we talk a lot. Uh, we throw ideas out at each other. He tells me a lot of things that pitchers are doing to him. You know, um, I wouldn't say he's a lot like me, but you know, guys that have had success in the big leagues, they tend to think alike. And and you know. I know he'll come back and sometimes and go, you know, this guy's going to throw me this pitch. I'm looking for this pitch to set bat. And to try to tell a young guy to go up there and look for one pitch in an at bat, and sometimes it's hard to convince right. him to do where he will. He'll walk up there and he'll look for one pitch. He'll get that pitch and he'll hit it. You know, and, you know, that's that's something that comes with experience. Yeah. yeah. And it seems like you got another player who's just as hot right now, Jackie Bradley. And, yeah. uh, I mean, 27 games is a pretty long streak. I think you had an 18-gamer in your career, a yeah. few 16-gamers. Do you remember what that feeling was like when you're in the middle of one of those? Um, you know, you don't really know about it until it gets somewhat long, you know. 27 games is a lot of games to have a hit in, especially in today's game with the, the different pitchers that you're going to see in the, the course of a ball game, and especially in the course of 27 games. But you know what? JB's handling it well. You know, he's not harping on it. He's not nervous about it. He goes up there and he tells us, you know, I'm just going up there and I do the same thing I do. If I get a hit, I get a hit. I'm going to try to stay as focused as I have been throughout this whole thing and look for pitches that I can hit. And uh, hopefully the ball stops me if they're balls. And, and that's the way I hit, you know, and, and he's handling it real well. Are you worried or concerned at all that because what happened last year, right, he was so hot and then it seemed like he, Got so cold right right after. No, that. How do you no. think he's? I'm not worried. I'm not worried about that this year. I mean, I think he, he he learned some stuff about himself last year as a hitter, and he is applying the the, the good stuff more this year. I think he, uh, you know, I'll never let him get down on himself. You know, um, and, and the way he's going right now, if the streak stops, he'll probably just start another. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's is it crazy to you? I mean, you don't make the lineup cards. But when you look at your lineup of the guys that you're coaching here and you got a guy hitting three forty five that's in the eight hole sometimes, yeah. I mean seven hole. Well he turns that lineup over really nice. You know, he turns it over to Mookie and Bogey and Petey and Hanley and David, you know, it just flips right over to him. So it just shows the uh, uh the depth in the lineup that we have, you know, um be able to have someone like that hit ninth, you know, that good teams, teams that win championships are teams that uh, have that kind of depth in their yeah. lineup. 
and the Indians over the weekend we saw started walking them, pitching around them. You yeah. guys moved them up in the order. Maybe that'll change things a little bit. But did you? Are you surprised it took so long for teams to kind of start pitching around him a little bit? Um, like I said, you know, it's tough to pitch around him because if you do, then you have a Mookie Betts and a Pedroia and a Bogarts, and, and these guys aren't guys that aren't hitting. They're right. hitting as well, right. and they can do damage. So um, it's tough to pitch around him. Um, in games that you know are meaningful and put him on base and have these guys do some damage and plus JB can steal a base so it's not like you pitch around him and he's going to be on first base clogging up the, the bases I mean he, he has good speed he's a, he can steal bases and he's a good base runner so you know um, they might try but and in the, you know the beautiful thing about his streak is that He's taken his walks. He's walked a lot during the streak, and that means he's patient at the plate. And as long as he stays patient, he's going to get pitches to hit. And if not, then he'll walk. Yeah. And, I mean, looking at this team, the pace that you guys are on, I think it's historic right now. I think you guys are on pace to be one of the top three offenses in the last 15 years. You were, you played on a lot of good offenses. Yeah. Is, does this give you a, a feel of any teams that you've played with? Um well, you know, they're all so young. You know, I, I, I think uh, probably one of the best offenses I've had, I've been on that had a lot of young guys was with the Angels in uh, 93, 94, 95, those years with the Tim Salmons, the Garrett Anderson, um, De Sarcina, we had Erstad, um, Edmonds, myself, uh, Tony Phillips. Uh, a very strong lineup, you know, and I thought I think one or two of those years we were in the top five in, in, in MLB and hitting. So if it reminds me of any team, it's that. I mean, the Yankees offense, the two years I was there, uh, was a solid offense, but there are a lot of proven players, you know. Uh, Tino Martinez was there, Bernie Williams, Paul O'Neill, Derek Jeter, Chuck Knobloch, myself, uh, Posada was young. But you know, a lot of proven hitters there. Um, so if it came close to reminding me of any offense that I've ever been around or, or played with, it might be the 94, 95 Angels. Yeah. Do you have, I mean, do you have more time to, that you kind of have to devote to the younger guys on the team? Or is it the, kind of equal to the time that you spend you know, with um, guys? everyone better? works. Everyone works. And, I, and, and that's the beauty of coming here every day. Uh, every hitter comes in this cage, comes out, does their work. If they need extra work, they'll come, you know, take the early hitting, they'll come out and do early work. Uh, they talk amongst each other about the game. Um, no, they all work. So, you know, uh, it's, 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 a, it's a group of guys that enjoy working together, enjoy getting put the work in, and it shows on the field. Yeah. And the last question for you is, you've, you've made some kind of, predi not predictions, but, you know, some interesting uh, statements. I like when you said Dustin Pedroia could win a batting title this year. That was one of my favorite ones. What do yeah. you see right now? Is there anything that you could predict? Or Well, you know, last year, I think, no, no, it was spring training this year. We were talking about batting titles. You know, Dustin yeah. and I had a cage. And Hanley jumped in and he goes, no, 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 I'm going for it too. And then Mookie <laughs> jumped in and goes, me too. And then Bogey said, I don't know, you know, I'm going. So, I mean, you know, you, it was good to hear that because there's that competition now between them, a good competition, you know. And, um, you know, Petey, uh, I think Petey has the ability to hit 320, 330. Um, and then so does Bogey, so does Mookie, so does Hanley, so does David, Jackie. I mean, you know, 
they all have the ability to hit over 300. And when you have that kind of offensive sock coming back to back to back, it's going to be a tough lineup to pitch. Through. So your prediction is five guys hit over 300. I'd love that. I'd love to see the whole offense hit over 300. You know, I'd like to see that break that record. But, you know, we understand it's a long season. They do. And um, at the end of the year, if you look up and the numbers are like this, uh, I mean, I'm going to look like a genius. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Charlie. Okay. Appreciate it, man. All right, we just heard from Jason Mastrodonato doing an interview with Red Sox hitting coach Chili Davis. Really, just fascinating interview there. Very, very enjoyable to listen to. It's Tyler Sullivan here at Boston Herald Radio. Coming up next here, you'll hear me and Steve Buckley on my radio program, Fargo Street on Boston Herald Radio, have a spirited discussion on retired numbers. I think that they're stupid. Buckley drops some serious knowledge saying that I'm wrong. I still think that I'm right, but that's okay. We also get into the Red Sox, Jackie Bradley Jr.'s hitting streak coming to a close. Clay Buckhold struggles. All that coming up here on Stepping Off the Bag. We bring in Steve Buckley, columnist here at the Boston Herald. Buck, how you doing? I'm fine. I apologize. I'm a couple minutes late. I know that uh, you got to keep the trains running on time, but I was parking my car, and I, and I had a hard time cradling the phone under my ear and turning the wheel at the same time. So well, I apologize. We, well, we do take attendance. We'll give you a tardy slip for this one, but we'll, I think we'll be okay. Three of those and I'm out, right? Yeah, oh yeah. Three of them, then we gotta, we got we gotta, we gotta give you a letter to send home to the parents. <clears throat> exactly. Wanted to discuss last night's game, yeah, more specifically Thursday night's game with the Red Sox. Obviously, Clay Buckholtz, not a good outing there. He was fine up for the first three innings. No hitter. No hitter. Between them. And then all of a sudden we get to the top of the fourth. We get a two-run home run. Then we go into the top of the fifth. And then we have two more two-run home runs. We started to question, is this going to be the game we look back on and say, this is the one that broke the camel's back? It would seem to be that way, just judging by, like, Mike Soldman had a really good take on that today, Terrell. And, and just from, like, I was at the gym this morning, and, like, people, you know, the normal, the usual suspects, if you will, the people who tend to come up to me and say, usually it's, very generic. They were naked to the sock, you know, and stuff like that. It, there seemed to be an unusual amount of uh, venom vis-a-vis uh, Clay Buckholz. And, uh, and and I, I, I take those things seriously. I, I do listen to what people at the coffee shop, at the gym and stuff say because it's the, it's the box populi. It's, what, it's what's on people's minds. And um, but like as much as we like to think that, you know, that we, we drive the cost and we tell people what to think, a lot, you know, in the, in the 21st century, uh, people who watch the games, listen to the games, follow on Twitter and Facebook and other social media outlets and podcasts and so forth. People can form their own opinions. And I listen very carefully to what those people say. And um, what you just said was a bullseye because people really are pissed off. And so you look at that and you say, okay. And, and I've looked at and I've heard John Farrell and Clay Buckle say almost a little bit too much, <laughs> saying that he's fine. There's nothing, you know, you know, there's nothing wrong with him. He's not hurt or anything like that. Do you find that the how many times they're saying he's healthy to be a little odd? Um, not necessarily because mm-hmm. uh, usually it's in response to a question we ask. Yeah. So if we keep asking, "Hey, are you healthy?" and the guy keeps saying, "Yes, I'm healthy." Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of where that comes from, I think. Um, it, it's unusual for me because I was at the game last night, but I was there to write about the way Bob's retirement ceremony, which took place before the game. So I went downstairs in game to do the in-game press conference after the game had started, and Bob's was going on and on. I go upstairs, and I'm writing, finishing my column. Most of it I already had written, and uh, you know how that game is played. Mm-hmm. And so I missed the first three innings of the game because – I'm writing Wade Boggs, 
tune into the game in the press. Well, okay, I'm done with the basketball. Now I'm going to watch the game. Top of the fourth inning. And it, it was like a typical Clay Buckholz start where you get split up in the first inning. In this case, the fourth inning was my first inning. Mm-hmm. So I missed the three innings that you so glowingly talked about at the beginning of this interview. And um, I, I don't know where, you, where to take that other than say that's my observation from last night. <laughs> I missed all the good stuff, and I saw all the bad stuff. Well, it's quite all right. I was at the game, too. I was just there as a fan. And, again, you know, we'll blame you for the Clay Buckles outing. We can blame me for the Jackie Bradley uh, streak being broken there. We'll, we'll take half the blame there. Going to Jackie Bradley Jr., what, what did you make? Just obviously the, the hitting streak has ended now, did not see 30 games, went 29. What do you make of just overall the resurgence of this player coming out of nowhere to have just this type of offensive production? Well, I speak the words. I'm, a, I'm 60 years old. I'm covering baseball for a thousand years. And I'm, I'm cynical and caustic, and I'm supposed to be strong with my opinions. But um, I'm as close as you can get to being a fan of this kid. Uh, even when he was struggling in 2014 and 2015, everything seemed to be going wrong. In fact, we had a very nice chat out at Yankee Stadium a couple of column my wrote. In fact, I was joking with him yesterday before the game. I said, hey, I got in on the ground floor, Jackie Bradley Jr. I didn't wait till you had a 20 minutes And he laughed. I said, I know you did. And um, he has the best skills defensively I have ever seen uh, a Red Sox center fielder have. And I used to write, and I wrote it off, as long as he is 245 or 250, he can be my center fielder. The comment I wrote a couple weeks ago was that we need, I, I need to change my expectations. Um, I'm, I'm not satisfied with 250 anymore. I think he's better than that. And a lot of it is he's a lot more aggressive than he was in the past. Uh, and the Red Sox and most major league teams preach the gospel of what's in the count, taking seven, eight, nine pitches. Well, that's changing a lot. And it's changing in particular with Jack Bradley Jr. If you get a big fat one uh, to swing at on 00 or 10 or 01, go ahead and swing at it. And He's being more aggressive up there, and I think that's working in his favor. He's a terrific talent. He really is, and, and you know, one of the things that I look at was the the toe tap was something that got highlighted a lot. You know, he was starting to toe tap earlier yeah. in his career, and then all of a sudden he seemed to be fixing that, and it seems to make all the difference in the world. You know, this is off topic, and I'm going to write about it as a note for Sunday. What, what is that thing they do at the end of the game where they get to stay, where the left field, the center field, they all meet and they do that little pantomime? Does that have a name yet? I have no idea what the name is, but I, I love it. I find it to be very entertaining. And, and it, it is so joyful to watch. And, I was, and, again, I was talking with Jackie last night before the game in the clubhouse. And is this the best Red Sox outfield history? Well, of course it's not. I mean, I, I, you know, when I was a kid, they had Yaz, Reggie Smith, and Tony Canigliaro. And then there was Lynn Rice and Evans. And, and no outfield, you know, Ted Williams and Don DiMaggio and stuff like that. We've seen great, great, great Red Sox outfields. Can you imagine, and this is no knock on these guys, but can you imagine Jim Rice, Fred Lynn, and Dwight Evans meeting up in center field and doing that after a game? It, it's, you know, part of it is temperament, part of it is personality, part of it is the times in which we live. I just think that's one of the coolest things. And you know why? It's organic. It just kind of happened. The marketing people didn't come up with it. That's what I love about it. Yeah, no, I would 100% agree with you. And I think it you know, goes more than just the outfield. It has that whole feel to it. Very loose team this year. Yeah, and, and they're, they're insane. And uh, um, I, I, I am among the many people who said this team 
runs the risk of losing its fan base if we have a third consecutive season uh, in which by July there's nothing left to root for. Well, even this team goes on a big losing streak, uh, which I don't think they will, even though I still have grave issues about the starting pitching. Mm-hmm. Um, offense can go south in a hurry in baseball. Um, I'm comfortable saying they're going to be in it, quote-unquote, this year, which means July and August we will have interesting, compelling baseball in July and August, and that's all you ever ask for around here. And you look at, you know, obviously we're a little bit over a quarter of the way through the season here, and obviously the offense is one of the big stories. I mean, averaging six runs a game, it seems like, you know, in the resilience of their offense too. it, you know, whether, whatever, especially early in the year, their starters would struggle and it didn't, didn't even really matter. You know, all of a sudden the offense would come out of nowhere and help them out. That's my biggest takeaway on the positive side. What about you? Uh, I would agree with that. I'd agree with that. And the, the offense is, is much more, much deeper, I guess, than, than a lot of us would have anticipated. I didn't think that Hanley would have this kind of offensive season. Um, I, I remember doing this show with you guys back in the day, and uh, maybe it wasn't you, it might have been Alex, that's who it was, where I was asked, like, which one player that I think would, would surprise a lot of people to go on this. And I, I had Pedroia. And I still think Pedroia is going to put up great numbers this year. Um, but if you get to the point where you're six, seven, and eight hitters are caught on the ball, then you're scaring other pitches. Now on the negative side, what is something you meant? You referenced the starting pitching. What do they need to do with the Red Sox there going forward and maybe towards the trade deadline? Well, the pitching just isn't deep. And uh, I've, I've been bullish on David Price in the beginning, even when he was not pitching well. I think he's going to get himself into a nice groove and do okay. Uh, Priscilla's pitching fine, um, but I, but you know he's not the uh, not the uh, the stopper that that people think he is, despite his good numbers, and that's just my trepidation with him. And then and then after that, you know they don't have Eduardo Rodriguez back yet. I'm not sold on Joe Kelly. We all know Clay Buckholz is a disaster, and um, you know and, and and Stephen Wright. Listen, he's a nice guy. He's had some great efforts. Um, it, 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 we all love watching the knuckleball dance on television. Um, but the history with knuckleball pitchers, by and large, is that at, at the end of the day, they, they often end up with 500 records, or, you know, 15 and 13, 17 and 14. And that's fine um, it, for a back-of-the-rotation guy. But don't, don't, get, don't fall into this trap. I think he's going to be like 24 and 4 or something like Roger Clemens was in 86. Um, and, and just be mindful of what the knuckleball pitcher is, what the nature of the pitch is. Um, Wakefield had that tremendous 17 start run in 1995 when the Red Sox got him off the scrap heap after Pittsburgh released him. I think it was 14 and one after 17 starts. Well, that means he was two and six the rest of the way. 16 and eight, I think he finished up. So just just be aware of what you got. Buck, what do you make of the bullpen there? Obviously, Carson Smith going down for the year there. One, of, that's one of my main concerns, and I'll explain why right now. Is you know, Craig Kimbrell is a guy where he was a big offseason draw. It's easy to identify those guys, similar to David Price. You know, you or I or you know whoever could point out and say, yes, those are the best guys that are available to you. Where guys like Dave Dombrowski make their money are, in my opinion, through trades, through guys that are a little bit under the radar, diamonds in the rough, or whatever you want to call them. And I feel like he went 0-for-1 with Carson Smith here. He's had injury history before. It's something that you really can't control here. But I feel like bullpen, again, in today's MLB is so important, and I'm concerned about maybe his track record of building one. Well, I mean, if there's one criticism of Dombrowski is that he, he tended to not build great bullpens. 
So he will be tested on that this year. Um, the only thing about Carson Smith, I don't recall, and correct me if I'm wrong, I didn't read every single story written about Carson Smith. I don't recall people harboring grave doubts about his ability to pitch and, and remain healthy. Mm. Um, Dombrowski made some comment. It might have been just a flip throwaway comment, but sort of like, like all pitchers have issues. I mean, I think if you took every single pitcher in baseball and put them under a microscope and looked very closely at their elbows mm-hmm. and shoulders and other body parts, you, you would find you would find overuse and fraying and so forth. Um, the question is, uh, which, which pitches can pitch with that? Which pitches can rebound from it? Which pitches can halt that and move forward? Uh, so I, I think to a degree they bought a guy that they were counting on to, to get past that, and it hasn't worked out. I'm in no way defending Dombrowski, mm-hmm. but I also know, as someone who covered baseball as a beat guy for a long time, mm-hmm. that, that it, there is some buyer beware when you get any pitcher. I was covering the Seattle Mariners when they traded a very young, on-the-rise, Danny Tartable, uh to the Kansas City Royals, to Scott Bank that it was going to, you know, they were counting on him to be in a pitching rotation with Mark Langston, Mike Moore, Mike Morgan, and, and Bankhead. And um, and it turns out he had some shoulder issues. And that's kind of the way it is when you trade for pitching. We're talking Red Sox here with Steve Buckley on Boston Herald Radio. Wanted to get your perspective on what went on last night and the, and the day previous as well, honoring the 86 Red Sox and obviously retiring Wade Boggs' number. You you say he deserves to have number 26 retired. Well, the very nature of the way you – the threatening nature – that you posed the question suggested you disagree with me. Well, it's not that I disagree. It's, well, one, I don't like retired numbers just in general with any sport. I'm just not a huge fan All right, of it. Well, we'll stop right there. Yeah. Well, then let's just talk about the philosophy of retiring numbers okay. in general. So if, if, if you want to have that discussion, mm-hmm. we can have that discussion. Right. But if, if you want to, for the purposes of this discussion, mm-hmm. recognize that teams do retire numbers, yes. let's focus on that. Should they retire his number? Mm-hmm. If you want to call me tomorrow, or just settle this whole interview and say, should teams retire numbers, right. we can go there. So where do you want to go with that? Right. We'll, cr- we'll clarify saying we recognize that, yes, and we live in a world, and I usually do this, we live in a world where you retire numbers, so we can have the argument of, or the discussion uh, of... I just want to yeah, see if no you have a good fight, that's all. Oh, I mean, so. you know, we want to go 10 rounds. We'll get you on another time. We'll definitely you do know, it. You want to you back rub, I'll give you a back rub. You want to fight? <laughs> Come on, drop I, I just think it's. I just think it's ridiculous. I, I Again, I, I don't know, again, you can do a ring of honor, you can do things like that. I just don't know what the what the gratification is for players. I get it for players, but for fans and, and for all of that, like you look with the Celtics, you're not going to have numbers soon enough. Well, again, you're, 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 the crux of your argument is the team is retired too many numbers, mm. which is the third argument. Okay. Um, are, you, are you telling me that the Yankees should not have retired Babe Ruth's number? No. I mean, you're wrong, but, you could, but I don't think, I think you could just honor him. Why can't you just honor him and just have like a, a well, because, black and nice statue? Every team in every sport has been retiring new uniform numbers for mm-hmm. seventy-five years. So you know, so who the hell are you to suddenly just stand up there and say, "Everybody out of the pool, we can't retire numbers anymore"? It is, it is, it is a tradition in all sports in all countries to retire uniform numbers. I get so that. Again, you're going, you're going back to that discussion. Let's not retire any uniforms. So, mm. so are you saying a they shouldn't retire Boston's number? B, they shouldn't retire any numbers at all, or C, they're retiring too many numbers. You're raising three different mm. arguments, and I don't know which one to fight you on. 
I know nobody knows more about retired uniform numbers than I do. So mm. tread lightly, my friend. All right, no, I like it. So I would probably go B, just in general. I I just don't think that it's. I just think it's a it's a weird practice. Again, I understand that it's part of history, and I and I and I appreciate it to some degree. And I get it's it, weird when every team in every sport retires numbers. No, I okay? know that. And and yet you standing out there in a wheat field in Kansas are mm-hmm. saying it's weird. I just find what are we missing? What are we missing here? I just find it. I just find it that you can't all of a sudden because a guy who was great, you know, years ago, all of a sudden can't, you know, t- in today's world, in today, a new athlete can't have the number just because a guy was great before. It's like okay, I, I understand honoring players. I would love to do it. You know, I, I I think it's great that Larry Bird was a Celtic. I think it's great that Ted Williams and Pedro Martinez were Red Sox and, and Wade Boggs was a Red Sox. Why why are we all of a sudden you know bearing a number away from people? So now? Where's your argument? The Christian Vasquez can't wear number nine. Is that what you're basing your discussion on? I just find it weird. I and again, I know you. I know you know it's it's not weird because we've had it for years. I just find it. I just I just don't. I'm not. I'm not a huge fan of it. We can agree to disagree. I just don't. I just don't like the no, practice. No, can't. You're wrong. I don't think I'm wrong. I, it's just an opinion. <laughs> I don't think I'm wrong. This is this is my. Middle end Delphi fastball. No, it's okay. Uh, I, I've been retired. I've been writing about retired uniform numbers for a long, long time. Mm. You know that during World War II, yes, when Johnny, when uh, Ted Williams was off defending our nation, fighting mm-hmm. in World War II, you know what the Red Sox did? They gave his number in 1944 to a guy named Johnny Peacock. So if you went to a Red Sox game in 1944, there was mm-hmm. a guy named Johnny Peacock wearing number nine. These are one of the funny little. I, I have mm-hmm. a lot of funny little stories of retired uniform numbers. That that's one that jumps out at me. Yeah. No. Um, the um, Houston Astros retired the uniform number of a guy named Jim Umbrecht, who barely played in the big leagues, but he had the misfortune of suffering from cancer and dying mm-hmm. as a young player with the Houston Astros. And team was so moved by that that they retired his uniform number. Uh, there are there are a lot of little stories about the, these kind of things that go round and around. Okay, now I, I do want to kind of just move on quickly to Wade Boggs here. You, he's deserving of it because, and again, what what for you? What are so what are the qualifications to have your number retired for a franchise? Is it is statistical numbers? Is it a combination of that and embracing the city? What is it? It's 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 all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. You don't ever 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 fall into the trap of setting a criteria. Yeah. by which a uniform number should retire. That's a trap. Mm-hmm. The Red Sox tried that, and they failed miserably. They put forth a policy by which a player had to be on the played for the team for 10 years. Mm-hmm. A. B. Had to be in the Hall of Fame, the one in Cooperstown. And C. Had to, quote-unquote, end his career with the Red Sox. <clears throat> okay? So that mm-hmm. was their policy. Then they turned around and they retired Carlton Fisk's number. Did Carlton Fisk end his career with the Red Sox? No, he ended his career with the Chicago White Sox. Then the Red Sox turned around and said, well, he's now the special assistant to the general manager, right. and by virtue of that, he has, wink, wink, ended his career with the Red Sox. Mm. So when they did that, I walked up to a team official, and I said, by the way, are you having a ceremony when you take down Ted Williams' number next week? Well, well, what are you talking about? Well, he doesn't qualify to have his number retired. Well, what are you talking about? Well, he ended his career as manager of the Texas Rangers. Oh, well, well, wait, that, that's not the same. Well, well, wait a minute. If Carlton Fisk, if, if, his, if, if the basis for retiring Carlton Fisk's number mm-hmm. is that he ended his career as special assistant to the general manager, then didn't Ted Williams end his career as manager of the Texas Rangers? Mm-hmm. And then they, and they fell into my trap. They said, oh, yeah. no, well, he was a special spring training instructor for the Red Sox. That's how he ended his career with the Red Sox. And I said, oh, so on that basis, because he ended his career as special spring training instructor, he qualifies. They said yes. 
And I said, oh, okay. So when are you taking on Bobby Doerr's number? Well, what are you talking about? And I said, Bobby Doerr ended his career as hitting coach at the Toronto Blue Jays and was never, ever, ever, ever in spring training as a special assistant or a spring training instructor. He, other than appearing at events at Fenway Park, he was never on the masthead in any capacity. Therefore, you must take his number down. And they said, oh, you just bring a wise ass. So, I mean, that's why you can't have policies, because you, you, you just do it when you think it feels right. That's the way to do it. Do you believe that Wade Boggs uh, has a little bit of a bad rap in Boston? Because I do believe that there is a, is a, a decent portion of fans. And again, I wasn't around to see him, so I, I don't know if I can have that opinion. But it seems like he wasn't very well-liked. And is that part of just because the 86 team didn't win, so all of those you know qualities became foolish, and if they won, maybe it becomes more charismatic of sorts? How well-liked was Ted Williams? Oh, he's he's beloved, absolutely. He is. He was beloved back when. I think today's the, today. Wait, wait, whoa, 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 whoa! When um when he played his final game in mm-hmm. September twenty seventh, whatever it was, nineteen sixty, about twelve thousand people showed up. Mm. How beloved was he? Yeah, no, I mean you make a fair point. I, I'm just I'm just wondering. He is no, Wade Boggs is closer. Wounds. Yes, I was also at Fenway Park when they blew Jazz off the field, where he mm-hmm. admitted that he used to wear cotton in his ears out in left field. And what I'm saying is, mm-hmm. in, in, in the moment when guys play for the Red Sox, fans get very emotional and they act accordingly. Um, I find it laughable that people said, oh, Wade Boggs, he was, he was me, me, me. All he cared about is himself. Is there any batter who steps up to the plate who doesn't care about himself? Right. Okay, you, you got the odd moment when a guy's supposed to drop a sack bunt. But the object of baseball is to get on base. And he did it with great proficiency for a long time. He won five batting titles. His batting average in the Red Sox lifetime is second only to Ted Williams. And when I, I covered Wade Boggs for a long year, the nut chase, I wrote it in today's paper. <laughs> but at the end of the day, he was, a, he was an assassin with the bat. And, and we can't honor that. So now if you want to go around to every single player in baseball, the uniform members retired and point out that, as I wrote in the Herald today, Jim Rice once assaulted his manager in yeah. the dugout because he had the temerity to send up a guy to pinch hit bomb and drop a sack bomb. I think it was Jody Reed. And Jim Rice literally grabbed Joe Morgan. Well, okay, that's a terrible thing. Jim Rice is the same guy who jumped into the stands one night when a kid got hit by a ball and carried him out so the team doctor could look at him right away. So there's good and bad with everybody whose name is up there. Jim, you know, uh, Ted Williams once flung his bat into the stands after being called out on strike, and that struck a woman in the forehead sitting in the box seats. We're going to retire the number of that guy? Mm-hmm. Oh, but he also was a war hero and did more than anybody in Boston sports history to help the Jimmy Fund. Good and bad. So if you want to focus on me, 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 and Margot Adams and, and wooing himself with Miserable and all the bad stuff, fine. He was a kook. He was a character. But let's celebrate the wholeness of who Wade Boggs was. And in that spirit, yes, he deserves to have his number retired. I've often, you know, been curious about this. We talked about Wade Boggs, and obviously his number's been tossed around, uh, you know, all the time with with whoever has Brock Holt, Lou Merloni, I, you, you name. It feels like his number's been thrown around a lot, and then all of a sudden you have a number like twenty one that Roger Clemens used to wear for the Red Sox, and, and no one seems to have had that. I don't believe anyone's had it since he's he, since he's left. Why? I can tell why you, is that? No, not only has nobody worn it, uh, they they did offer it to one player since mm-hmm. Clemens left. And that player, I, I've mentioned this a few times, the one player they offered it to was a fellow Texan from the University of Texas named Greg Swindell, uh, a lefty who adored Roger Clemens. And when he came to the Red Sox, basically he's just like a mop-up guy late in his career. Joe Cochran, the clubby at the time, said, well, you know, you went to the University of Texas, you're a big Clemens guy, you want to wear number 21. And uh, Swindell said, no, I don't want to wear it. 
I, I don't think I, I, I can do that. I don't feel honored enough to wear it, um, that I'm up to it. And, um, that's not, that's not really, there's a lot of, uh, tradition and decorum within the clubhouse. The clubby generally has a lot to do with that. Mm. And, uh, and, and there've been a lot of cases where, um, nobody has worn a certain number for a certain time. And uh, nobody wore Ted Williams' number nine after he left, but they didn't get around to retiring it until 1984. Um, I kind of like the fact that it's not all cut and dry and that it, it's not all on a grid sheet. And they're like, oh, it's time to retire this guy's number. I, 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 I hope they continue to do it that way. Mm. Do, you think, do you think that you'll see 21 up there at some point? Uh, I do. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt. Um, I, listen, I'm, I'm not naive. I think part of the reason, you know, Larry Lacchino was very stingy about retiring numbers. Mm. He's no longer a top the masthead. Sam Kennedy is a top the masthead. I think that's part of it. And let's, let's also be a little cynical here. The team is coming up consecutive last place finishes. It was a Thursday night game against the Colorado Rockies in late May. Um, I think that maybe they were looking at another season in which you know, they struggle to win games, and hey, let's retire Wade Boggs' number. We'll fill the house with a lot of emotion. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe a cynic could argue that if it was last December and, and I could I could have foreseen the future and said, well, just just be aware that on that night the Red Sox is going to be in first place and Jackie Bradley Jr. is going to be hitting three zillion with a uh, 29 game hitting streak. Maybe they would say, oh, well, you know, maybe we'll hold off on Boggs. So right. there's a lot that goes into this. All right, good stuff. Steve Buckley, thanks so much for taking the time. We appreciate it. I really enjoyed this. Yeah, guys. it's a good time. What are you doing? You gotta be, can't be a stranger. Why don't you come in studio? Come on. Uh, I have a phone number, and if you All press right. those magic buttons and invite me in. I know. You know, we're, we're not, we're, you know, I guess we can't be graced with the presence, but we'll definitely bring you in. We'll, we'll try to bring you in I'm through the phone. Do, I'm not, I'm not going to just wander in there someday <laughs> yeah. when you've got, you know, Alex Reamer there laughing about whatever he blabbed about, you know, so... It'll be a so, good time. Uh, invite me in and I'll be there. All right. Sounds good, Buck. Thanks so much for taking the time. Happy Memorial Day weekend. Well, that wraps up this week's edition of Boston Herald's Red Sox Stepping Off the Bag podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for reading every day. We'll have another podcast coming up soon. Thanks a lot.